103 of our men that will be leaving this week to go to Russia, two more that will be going in just uh, a couple of weeks. In fact, we'll just kind of overlap with those fellas. Um, and so the, the attire today is all about that. We're getting ready to send some troops into a major field, and uh, so we're just using this as somewhat of a reminder of what's really going on, that this is warfare. And yet, there's another reason. I went to bed last night with what was going to be the message and tossed and turned all night and changed it about 4 o'clock. Some of it's the same, some of it ain't, and, uh, and it merits this attire. So, uh, y'all brace yourselves. All right, and for time's sake, let, let's, uh, we'll turn to Revelation 14. We'll just very, very briefly, I'm not going to be able to pull all of you folks in who... Uh, our guests with us normally. I, I try to, in fact, we spend a, a great deal of time just making sure we're all working off of the same sheet of music, off of the same page, as it were. We're in Revelation chapter 14. We're talking about the 144,000. We are living right now in the last days. In Revelation chapter 3, it identifies the group of people that we are. It, it identifies us as Laodiceans. You'll hear me use that term quite frequently through the rest of the, the message today. That's those of us who are believers living in the last days. We're in the Laodicean church period, the last of seven periods of church history, just before the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And what we're doing in Revelation chapter 14, we've, we've done the doctrinal stuff, we've done the theological stuff, we've got all of our, you know, we know who the 144,000 are, we know who the 144,000 aren't. Now what we're trying to do, we're trying to glean some things that we can learn from this group of people because it is an incredible group of believers. I mean, the, these folks do it right. They're going to come on the scene right after we're out of here during the tribulation period, and I'm telling you, they're going to do it right. So we're trying to learn some things. We, we talked about their seal, and we tried to learn some things from that. Now we've been talking about their submission. Look in the middle of verse 4. It says, These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And you come on that, and you just begin to look at, at the, the way that these people know how to follow the Lamb. They will not let him out of their sight. And what it's done for us is it's just opened up this, this whole arena. We've spent numerous weeks already, and I can tell you, when we get back from Russia, we'll still be hitting this thing of what it really means to be a follower of the Lamb, to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This seems like the, the ABC stuff. It seems like the stuff that we should have got when we first got in, and it was, but it's just something that Laodiceans have missed in the midst of all that they know about God and about all they know about the Bible. Somehow we've missed what this thing is about following. And we, we've talked about the, the presuppositions of following. And now if you look on your sheet, some of, the, some of your study sheet's going to work for you. Some of it isn't, okay? But if you come down, you look down at the bottom where it says the, the prerequisites of following. You see that? The prerequisites of following and just to jolt your mind let's go back to mark chapter 8 mark chapter 8 and in mark chapter 8 jesus has been having an incredibly important discussion with his disciples about who he really was and what he had actually come to this planet to do and in the midst of that context in mark chapter 8 i want you to see what he says in verse 34 it says and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also he said unto them Whosoever will come after me, let him 
deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we saw last time that what Jesus is doing here is he's making an evangelistic invitation. He's inviting people to come to him, not so he can cart them off to heaven. He's inviting people to come to him because he wants them to be his what? His followers. But he lets us know in this passage that before we can do that, something's got to have it happen first. And for you folks who don't know what prerequisite means, that's what it means. What's got to happen first, okay? And there's some prerequisites, Jesus said, if you're going to be one of his followers, if you're going to come after him to be one of his followers, there's some prerequisites. And there's two very basic ones that are right there. First of all, you must deny yourself. And of course, you can see the second one there. You must take up your, your cross. And we started talking last time about what it means to deny ourselves. And we saw, first of all, that denying yourself means that I no longer trust in myself. Listen, in order to come to Christ, and some of you are here this morning, and that's what your need is. You've never responded to the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ to come to him. And he gives to you this morning an evangelistic invitation. And what he says is that if you're going to come, I must deny anything that I'm trusting that has to do with self, any of my works, any of my goodness, any of my abilities, any of my religiousness. What Jesus is saying here is I must totally deny my ability in my flesh to do anything to save myself. And that's the way that we all get in. Nobody comes in any differently than that. We all come in that way, denying ourselves, no longer trusting in ourselves. But what we saw is that once we come to that place, the self-denial continues in a second way or it takes on a, a, a second meaning and that is denying yourself means that I no longer what I no longer live for myself and you see this is really the result of the self-denial that causes me to no longer trust in myself the result of that coming to Christ recognizing I can't do anything I, I'm wasted before you Bam! what happens the result of that is I no longer live for myself. I become a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And you see, this is where those of us that are living in this Laodicean church period have, have so many problems. Because you see, we come to the place to where we deny ourselves. That is, we deny that we have any ability to save ourselves. But we struggle beyond that to get to the place that we cease living for ourselves. We, we get saved and we, we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, but we keep on living for ourselves. And what we saw last week, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, what it says is that the reason, listen, the reason that Christ died is so that we would stop living for ourselves. Now, listen, before you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we couldn't do anything but live for ourselves. But 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, now that we've been placed into Christ's death, there shouldn't be the continuance of the self-life. Our life is, is His life now. And we, we live it 
not for ourselves, as Jesus says here in, in, in Mark, we, we deny ourselves. And, and listen, last week I took you all over the place to show you that. We went to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. And what it says is that we were redeemed, again, not just so that we could go to heaven when we die, but we were redeemed from the vain type of life that we used to live that we had inherited from our parents in our sin nature by our very birth we lived a vain type of life that is we lived it for ourselves and what he says is we were redeemed from that type of life we were, we were redeemed from the the me the my the mine through his death and, and burial and resurrection what, what Peter says is is he redeemed us out of that and he did it with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that's why his blood was shed so that we again would stop living for ourselves he, he redeemed us out of that it, it at least that's what the Bible says happened and the problem is it, it just doesn't seem to work that way in in the last days that we're living in it just doesn't seem to, to work like that. And one of the reasons is that there are a lot of folks, and listen to me, one of the reasons that many people who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ continue living for themselves is because they really don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. They're like the group of people that is referred to in Titus chapter 1 and verse 16 who profess with their mouth that they do know him but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate in, in other words there's a bunch of people running around who claim they know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior but the works that the Bible says that that relationship produces they don't have any of those they're disobedient to the Word of God and yet they're running around thinking they're all right. And I'm telling you, it, it scares me to death, but there's a lot of Laodiceans, people making that profession, that do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But like we saw last time, and, and you can turn back there as if most of you that are here every week need to, but to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, there's another reason that we can deny ourselves in that we trust ourselves for salvation and yet continue to live for ourselves and it's the reason that we saw last week from second timothy chapter three and verse two and that is the bible says that those of us living in these perilous last days aren't just real fond of ourselves and we don't just like ourselves a lot and we aren't just preoccupied with ourselves and we aren't just consumed with ourselves listen what it says is it's more than any of that. 2 Timothy 3, 2 says that we what? We love ourselves. And, and, and we read that, but I'm just not real sure, folks. I'm just not real sure that we understand how that love ingrained self into our very being and into our, our, our thinking. And what I tried to get you to see last week is that, that self and this love of self that he's talking about here in verse 2 
It, it held a, a cult-like grip on us. And you see, now, now we're saved. But listen, because of that cult-like grip that the love of self had on us, unless our mind has been transformed as Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 talks about, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, if you have come to the place to where you know the Lord Jesus Christ, but your mind has never been transformed, listen, the, the, the residue of that old selfish, self-seeking, self-serving, self-promoting, self-gratifying, self-glorifying way of thinking, or the residue of that's going to spill over into our Christian life and cause self and the love of self to continue to be the dominant theme of our life. And it pans out over and over and over in Laodicea, doesn't it? The people who claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ and yet continue to love themselves. And Jesus says, listen, the first prerequisite for following is denying yourself. Now something else that you need to know about us Laodiceans from Revelation chapter 3 is that though we think that we see just perfectly what, what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3 in verse 17 is that our problem is not that we just we just don't see well. That's not our problem. Our problem is that we're what? Our problem is that we're, we're blind. And the fact is, folks, we, we allow ourselves, in, as Laodiceans, we allow ourselves to be blind to the continued control of self for this reason. Because we look at our life and we've reformed our behavior. In, in other words, there's a lot of bad stuff that we no longer do anymore that, now that we're saved. And you see, there's a lot of good stuff over here that we do do now that we're saved. And so, you see, we, we look at all of that and we think we're cool. But as I said last week, listen, salvation wasn't just behavior modification. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. What it says is that before we were saved, this is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. What it says is that before we were saved, we fulfilled, key word there, we fulfilled the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And you see, a lot of people get saved, and because they're saved, they no longer fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind. But though they no longer fulfill them, their flesh and their mind still have the same self-seeking desires that they had before they were saved. It's just now, I don't fulfill them anymore because, you know, I am saved. And what God just keeps trying to get us to see and what I keep trying to, the point I keep trying to pound here is that salvation didn't just give you a massive dose of self-discipline to help you to suppress your sinful desires. Salvation is intended to transform those desires. And do you understand the difference of that? M Hello? M most people, most people got saved and their whole life is just 
it, all the energy is spent on not doing everything they want to do. I'm trying to get you to see what Jesus is saying is that salvation is the transformation of our desires. And turn back with me to Matthew 23. Don't let me wear you out with the, the turning. Stick with it now. Matthew 23. And let, let me remind you that when Jesus was on this planet, he warned with some very, very stiff warning. He warned the religious leaders of his day about getting the external of their lives looking all neat and pretty while they never dealt with what was going on on the inside of them. And he says in the middle of verse 24, Matthew 23, look in the middle of verse 24. Yeah, you make clean the outside of the cup. And he's referring to their life. He's referring to their body. Oh, yeah, you got the outside of the cup looking really smooth, man. But within, on the inside, you're full of extortion and excess. Again, excess is unbridled desire. Oh, no, you've gotten yourself to where you've suppressed all of that stuff and you've denied yourself, buddy. While on the inside of you, you are so much alive and there's so many desires that are still rolling around in you that long to be fulfilled, but because you're holy, you don't. And in the middle of verse 27, he tells them, listen, he says, you're whited sepulchers. In other words, you're just like a whitewashed grave which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead men's bones, and look at the last part, and of all uncleanness. Verse 25, Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And I'm telling you, folks, if you want a great description of Laodicean Christianity, Jesus just gave it to you right there in verse 25. Again, we're spending all of our energy trying to get the externals of our life looking good. And the reason we've got to give so much energy to that is because the inside of us is so much a dirty, stinking mess. And what's so wild is that we're the first one to condemn the Pharisees. I mean, man, we're hard on these folks when the fact is, according to what we're seeing here in Matthew 23, we're no different than they are. And if you want, want to know what word Jesus would use to describe us, okay, now I wouldn't use this word because I'm too nice and I'm not quite that harsh and I'm much too loving. But if you want to know the word that Jesus used or Jesus would use to describe Laodicea in Christianity. You know what? It's the same exact word that he used to describe the scribes and Pharisees. Look at the first part of verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And look at verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 29. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And now listen, that's the good news. Look at verse 33. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. You see what Jesus is talking about? When you 
give this appearance that you got everything all together, but the inside of you, buddy, is something you've never dealt with. Jesus says, it's hypocrisy, y'all. Now, now listen, if you're a guest and you don't know how we do things around here, I do want to make sure that you understand. Above everybody else in the room, I am a Laodicean. You do yourself a real favor if you'd ever just get in your closet and go, I am a Laodicean. And I admit to you, I am a Laodicean, and I stink. I am full of dead men's bones. I make the outside of my cup look really pretty sometimes. Today, the cup even looks bad. But I'm just telling you, I look re- if, if you don't like the way I'm dressed, I look a whole lot worse on the inside. I can just guarantee on to you that. I- I'm hit all over the place with what Jesus says in verse 24 and 27. So please don't think that I, I'm calling all the people in church a bunch of hypocrites. I am, including me, okay? So we're all in, the, in this thing together. And, and what I'm, the reason we're talking about this is I, I really do believe that Jesus is looking for followers in these last days, don't you? And I really do think that we better figure out what that means biblically because, listen, we're a long way from it. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I was telling the, the, the men that, that are going to Russia, there's some things about us Laodiceans that is wrong in the very foundation of our being. I mean, we, we've got some, some major problems. Now, several weeks ago, I mentioned a key verse from Romans chapter 3, and I want you to go over there. Romans chapter 3. Now, of course, we're all very familiar with with verse 10, which says, as it is written, there is none righteous. And I love Paul the way he he anticipates that somebody's going to say, well, you know, there was one time I... I, No, not one. And then look at verse 11. There is none. None that understand it. There's none that seeketh after God. Now listen, that's how devastating sin was in our life. Okay, now, now listen to me. Sin left every single one of us completely void of righteousness. So much so that we cannot even comprehend our unrighteousness. That's, why he, that's what he says here in verse 11. So, so check it out. Not only are we void of righteousness, we're void of understanding. We don't get it. We don't understand how wretched and sinful we actually are. And and you know what? Now, I I don't know every single person in this room. I don't know what the events were that that led to to your salvation. But I, I do know this based on the things that we saw several weeks ago. I, I do know that because of verse 11, because none of us understood and because none of us could seek God, I do understand that God, in order for us to come to Christ, had to draw us to Him. And I know that the way that the Father drew us to the Lord Jesus Christ is He used the Spirit of God to reprove us or to convince us or to convict us of 
Three things. Do you know what they are? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. I do know that in order to come to Christ, I had to be reproved of those things. I had to see that. I had to understand those things so that I could see my need for a Savior, so that I could call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But to be quite honest with you, you know what? I don't know how much you have to understand to be drawn to Christ. I don't know how deeply you have to be reproved of sin and of righteousness and judgment to, to see how desperate you are for a Savior. I, I, I don't know that, but I just say this. I would say that as Laodiceans, if we ever really did understand our condition, if we ever were brought to a, a place of desperation spiritually so that we, we longed for a Savior, it's evident that we've forgotten what we once knew. We, we've forgotten what our condition was when we were lost. And, and what I want to do for the next couple of minutes here is I want to take you on a little journey back. Now, this is not on your study sheet, okay? I'd write just as much as you can write, but more than writing. I mean, if your mind doesn't work like that, I'd rather you, you get this, because what I want you to do... Now, now we're going to come back to the study sheet. Don't get it too far, okay? Frank said I had two hours this morning. <laughs> For you guys, I'm just kidding. Kind of. Okay. But, but what I want to do is I want to take you on a little journey back into our condition before we came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and listen, I know that, you know, I know that this is tough because, you know, we've got so many things on our mind. You're trying to listen and you're trying to redecorate your living room and, you know, all kinds of stuff going right now. But now listen, could you just try to pull it in for a few minutes right now and let God maybe remind some of you of your condition before you came to Christ? And maybe, maybe for some of you, maybe for the first time, maybe you'll begin to understand what was really going on. And what I want you to do is I want you to forget what you know, okay? And I want you to just pretend you're a blank slate, and I'm just coming to you right now, and I'm going to begin to take the Bible, and I'm going to show you your condition as a lost person, okay? Several things you need to understand about our condition before we got saved. Number one, we were totally disqualified for heaven. We were totally disqualified for any connection with God. And listen, Paul understood this very well. We were in Romans chap or Ephesians chapter 2 just a minute ago. And I want you to turn over there. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. And look at what he says in verse 1. You were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or our manner of life in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now listen, that's what we all were in our natural state, and look at what he says, though, in verse 11 and 12. Wherefore, remember, don't forget this, 
and I'm trying to bring it back to your remembrance this morning so that we can learn something about what it is to be a follower and you'll never be a follower I'm telling you until you understand the pit that you were digged out of wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands in other words the Jews that at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world now uh, y'all help me did I not tell you where to turn I mean why is everybody looking at me y'all hey listen you better get it from the book okay get it from the book that's why we bring it okay look at it again that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world what he's trying to get us to see is we were a mess we were totally disqualified we were Christless we were covenantless we were hopeless we were godless we were listen we were so disqualified we couldn't even approach God listen Isaiah 59 verse 2 says your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face as it were from you that he will not hear you not only were you covenantless and helpless your sin had so devastated you that God was so far from you he couldn't even hear what you were saying Isaiah 64 and verse 6 even says that every good deed that we tried to do to qualify us in the sight of God was like dirty stinking filthy rags in his sight and we were all as an unclean thing the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9 we were just there a minute ago he says Paul says I proved to you before that both Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin as it is written there is none righteous no not one there's none that understandeth there's none that seeketh after God they're all gone out of the way they are together become unprofitable there's none that doeth good no not one their throat is an open sepulcher and their tongues have they used deceit They're, the poison of ass is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness folks listen that was us before we were saved every one of us the best of us and the worst of us every one of us none of us righteous none of us understood none of us sought after God we were totally unprofitable Paul said totally disqualified and, and listen no matter where you slice it in this book that's what you're gonna come out with we, we were a mess so first of all we were disqualified secondly being lost means that we were in the clutches of Satan's power listen Paul said in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that are lost listen to it he's blinded their minds you see listen listen the reason that lost people aren't saved it's not because they don't believe it's not that they're stupid the problem is the God of this world has blinded their minds Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18 
says that those that are lost have had their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Do you see the, the, the condition? I mean, we are a mess. And all the while, we can't even see what kind of mess we are because we're in the clutches of Satan's power and he blinded our minds. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul talks about the spiritual battle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we were involved in that, that whole warfare, and our mind was being darkened, our understanding being darkened. He was blinding our minds. So a lost person not only disqualified, and not only are they in the clutches of Satan's power, and we talk about this in discipleship, but I do want to just, I want to underscore it in your mind as we're just trying to build this composite of what our condition was before we were lost. What the Bible says is that we were a part of Satan's family. And you know this. There's only two families in the world, the family of Satan and the family of God. And every single one of us that are born into this world physically are born into the wrong family. We're born into Satan's family, and until we have a spiritual birth, we're not born into God's family. That's exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 44. He said, Ye are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father will you do. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, it says that those that are lost are of the devil. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 38, Jesus is, is giving the, the meaning there of the the parable of the wheat and the tares. And he explained that the tares represented the unsaved. And the way that he referred to them in the parable was this. They are the children of the wicked one. So you understand that? Being lost doesn't mean that well, I just didn't always live the way that I should. It, it, it isn't, oh, well, I slipped up from time to time. No. Being lost means you're totally disqualified from the presence of Almighty God. You were blinded by the, the power of Satan. You were held captive in his power. You were a part of his family. He was your father, and you were his child. And the things that you, you did at that time were the things that your father desired you to do. But not only does the Bible say that that was our condition. It tells us something else. Listen, before we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, every single person in this room, I don't care how wealthy you were, I don't care where you lived, I don't care what, you, what family structure you were in, what the Bible says is you were born into this world a slave. All over the New Testament, the Bible talks about the fact that we were, first of all, the slaves of sin. You see that in John chapter 8 and verse 34, Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, Romans chapter 6 and, and verse 20. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19 says that we were slaves of corruption. The Bible also teaches us that we were slaves to the devil. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 says that we were in, listen to it, we were in the snare of the devil and taken captive by him at his will. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 adds that we walked according to the prince of the power of of the air. Romans chapter 6 and verse 12 and Titus chapter 3 and verse 3 teach us that we were slaves to our own lust. Romans chapter 6 and verse 19 says that we were slaves to uncleanness and iniquity. 
in Ephesians 2 and verse 2, we were slaves to this world. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, we were slaves to pleasures. I mean, folks, listen. We were slaves. Isaiah 61 and verse 1, listen to it. It, it describes our slavery using these words. We were, we were captive. We were bound. And we were in prison. That was our condition spiritually, y'all. Listen, Isaiah 42 in verse 7. It says this. It says that our eyes were blinded and we were sitting in prison in darkness. Can you just, would you let yourself just feel that darkness for just a second? Are you getting it? We were so clueless of who we were. I mean, we were a mess. We were in the wrong family. We were doing what our father was telling us to do. We're slaves, bound, sitting in prison, blind. Not only that, at that time, what God says is that we were under his wrath and condemnation. John 3 and verse 18 says, He that believeth not is condemned. What's the next word? already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of god so listen to it in our lost condition we stood condemned before god listen a person is condemned not just when they stand before god on the final day listen we were condemned before god at the very time that we were lost we were condemned by god in verse 36 of john chapter 3 adds he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth or remains or just clings onto him. Folks, listen. That's what it is to be lost. Let me give you just a, a running, running jet tour through it again. We were disqualified. We were dead, Christless, godless, hopeless, separated from God, unable to merit qualification. We were unclean, unprofitable, unrighteous. We were helpless. Satan had blinded our minds. Our, our understanding had been darkened, and we were held in his power. We were born into his family. He was our father. We were his children. We did what he wanted us to do. We were slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to our own lusts, slaves to this world we were captives we were bound we were imprisoned and blind and under the wrath and condemnation of almighty god and you get a picture of that that was you and that was me that was that was all of us you see what i what i'm saying is i'm just not so sure that laodiceans ever felt that helpless You see, Laodiceans laugh their way down aisles. And I'm not saying you got to cry to get saved. I'm just telling you. Do you understand a little better now? 
There's none that understands. And, and would you just for a second, and, and you know what, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just, I, I know you can't look up all these, pla- I'm trying, and I know it's difficult to, to try to keep a, a train of thought going, but listen, could you just for a second, could you, could you just feel those chains as, as they cut into your wrists, into your ankles, as you're sitting there bound in that prison? And would you let the darkness of that prison just engulf you for just a second? And would you just try to smell the stench of your own sinfulness? And listen, if you have a hard time imagining it, let me, let me just remind you that God says that our righteousness, righteousnesses, okay, now are you catching that? Our righteousnesses, not our sin, not our unrighteousnesses, but our righteousnesses in our lost condition are as filthy rags. And I'd love to comment on that, and I won't. That was our righteousnesses. So you can imagine how how putrefying our unrighteousnesses were. And, And for just a second, let's just try to comprehend the utter despair of what it is to be lost, to be alienated from God. Okay, now, 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 now listen. Okay, you're, we're all sitting in this condition. Okay, now, now at this point, okay, now remember, you're still lost now. You, you feeling it? Okay, we're sitting there in that prison. We're bound. We're helpless, covenantless, all, all the things we talked about. Okay, now in that condition, what do you want? What would you like? Uh, hello. Uh, my, my name is Mark, and I'll be your server today. What can I get you, ma'am? Sir? Uh, can I get you something? What would you like? To, what would you like? We, uh, how about this? How about we start with a great title? W- would you like a, a great title? Uh, here, here's a great one. King! Queen! You like that? Oh, okay, how about President? Mrs. President. How about this one? Would you like to be deacon? Deacon's wife? Oh, that's not going to happen. How about this? Adult Bible study teacher. Would you like that title? Oh, okay. Pastor. There's five of y'all now. Yeah, you're the pastor. You like that? You like the title? Well, you know, um, really, all of that's real nice. uh, But, you know, really, all I was really wanting is out of these chains and, oh, my goodness, this darkness and... I, my problem is I just don't know what to do. Oh, well, sorry, I can't help you there. But you know what? I bet I know what you really want. I bet you want recognition. I'll tell you what we're going to do. You just hold that pose right there, and I'm going to take your picture. Oh, the camera loves you, darling. Super. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, man, hold that pose. Oh, we got that. And you know what we're going to do now? Now that we've got that, what we're going to do is we're going to make copies of that. And we're going to hand out your picture to all the rest of the prisoners in the prison house. And you know what? We're all going to put your picture in our wallet. And we're going to take your picture out. And we're just going to think that you are just the absolute berries. From now on, listen, everybody is going to know you. From now on, we're all going to think you're the greatest. We're all going to think you're the coolest person of all. You say, well, you know, uh, really, I mean, that... that that really doesn't mean all that much to me right now. 
You know, the only thing that I really want is I just want to be free. I, I just, you know what, my problem, I just don't know how. Could you, could you, you know what, I bet I know what you want. <laughs> Money. Ah, that's the ticket. Money. Well, here, I'm thinking you want the title here. I'm thinking you want recognition. Money. I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to put a million dollars. We'll make it two. You know, nothing like a little security, you know? And, and, and listen, do you realize how comfortable you're going to be able to live in this place with two million dollars in your account? I mean, listen, ooh, you are going to be the envy of everybody in this place with that kind of cash in your bank account. Well, you know, I really, these chains is, I know, I, I know what you'd love. I bet you'd love some new clothes, wouldn't you? You know, it gets a little dank and, and kind of musty in this place. And I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to back up a big old semi from back rack and give you one of everything in your size. And, and ma'am, for you, uh, we're going to back up the Saks Fifth Avenue and give you one of every, you know, one of every deal in, in your, your size. And, and listen, I, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to pull that semi right back up here. Come on, fellas. With the, uh, you know, bring that thing right back here. We, we close here. You know, uh, really, close is not my, my deal. Oh, listen, you don't have any idea how smooth you're going to look, though, walking around that prison wearing those clothes. Man, you are going to be the envy of this entire place. And listen, what, what kind of car do you cruise around the, the, the compound in? Your Mercedes, we're going to park that thing. Bring that Mercedes in right next to the semi here with all the clothes. You know what? No, I, I, I just, these, you know, these chains and this darkness, man, if you could just get me out of, out of this. And you know what? You know what? Man, listen, if you're dressing like that and you're sporting a style and ride like that, listen, man, you know what? You, we're going to have to do something with this cell. You know what? We're going to remodel your cell, man. We're going we're gonna to give it a brick face and then we're going to take brass bars and put it out front there. You know what? In your little stool there, we're going to put brass fixtures on there so that, you know, I mean, nothing but the best for you. I mean, come on. This, we're going to put a little cathedral ceiling thing going in here. Oh, man, I'm telling you, you're going to be the envy of the whole cell block. Everybody's going to be walking down, looking through your bars, looking in there going, wow, it'd be nice to live in that place. And, and listen, we go on and on and on and on and all that. And you know what? Our loss, helpless, condition, none of that stuff means jack, does it? But what happens to Laodiceans is here we are, sitting in that prison cell, clueless, helpless. We don't have any idea in the world how to get out of that thing. And all of a sudden, man, in the midst of the darkness, here comes this shining light. You know what it is? It's the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. And it shines unto us. Our blinded eyes are open. We see who He is. We see our sinful condition. We call upon the name of the Lord and we cry out to Him for mercy. We cry out to Him for the only... You're the only one that can do this. I can't do it myself. I've trusted in religion. I've trusted in all this trash. And that's all it is, is trash. I just want you. And He saves us. And then all of a sudden we're saying, now, now where is that semi with those clubs? And where's that, where's that Mercedes? And now where was that money that you were talking about putting in my account? And you know what? We didn't get it, did we? And what I'm trying to get you to see is we did not see how 
desperate we were for salvation. Because we didn't see how desperate we were. It's just real easy to pocket the salvation and live for ourselves. And we're the only group of people on the planet that has ever pulled this thing off. All this in heaven too. We just, we don't get it. Jesus says, listen, the prerequisite to following is that you deny yourself. And there's just one more thing that we're going to need to do together here this morning to really get it. To find out where we really are. We need to do a little self-examination together. And here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, in a real brief fashion, some not so brief, but most of them, just, we're just going to hit it and be off it. The first one, I'm going to take just a little bit of time. But, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to take you and I'm going to show you, just right from the Bible, what the Bible says were the desires that we had before we were saved. Now, we've seen what the Bible says was our condition. Now, I want to show you what the Bible says were the desires that we had as lost people. And Now, listen, so that you don't miss what we're doing. The reason we're doing this is we claim that we've denied ourselves. <clears throat> we claim that we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is a transformation of desire. And so we're going to look back at what the desires were before we were saved, and let's just see if there's been a transformation. Let's just see where we're at on this thing. And then take your Bible and turn once again to the book of Mark. Now, again, we're not going to take time to turn to all of these, but Mark chapter 9, Jesus shows us the first thing that we desire in our lost condition in verse 35. Verse 35 says, And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first. Okay, now that's the first one. In our lost condition, we desire to be first. And listen, now, this is a biggie. Listen, this is something in all of us. There's something, there's this animal inside of us that wants to be first. I don't care how humble you look. I don't care what appearance you have. If you're a human being, there is a desire in you to be first. There's something in you that wants to be great. There's something in you that wants to be esteemed. It's what John called in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, the pride of life. We want to be esteemed. And in Laodicea, now listen, the way this works in Laodicea is if I'm not esteemed by you, then man, I can go to the Christian bookstore and I can read hundreds of volumes that can help me with my self-esteem. Now, folks, I just want to make sure that you understand that Christian psychologists have diagnosed the problem in a wrong way. Our problem is not that we think too lowly of ourselves. Our problem is that we think too highly of ourselves. And that's not my diagnosis of the problem. It's God's. 
because God says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 29, no man, count them, no man ever yet hated his own flesh. How many men hated their own flesh? None. We've diagnosed the problem wrong. Listen, the reason that so many people are bummed about themselves is they love themselves so much they think they deserve better than they got and because they didn't get it, they're bummed. We call it low self-esteem. God calls it the exact opposite in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. He calls it thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And listen, in our lost condition, that was just built into every one of us, a desire to be first, a desire to be esteemed by ourselves and others, and preferably both. And what's so wild is that there are just so many Christians who claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have denied themselves, because, you know, that is a prerequisite for being a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet, the majority of Christians still are seeking to be first. So many Christians are still caught up in, in the rat race, seeking greatness in the world. And, and you know what a lot of them do? You know, some of them get over that. And, and so what they do is they no longer seek greatness and seek the esteem of the world. So you know what they do? They bring it over into the church. Oh, yeah, I'm done with the world. And so now we come into the church, and now we're seeking to be first in the church. And what we do is we, we learn how to dress our, our continuance in the self-cult so that people think that we're dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we've denied ourselves when in reality... We use Christ as the camouflage for self-promotion. And I'm telling you, man, this is, this is, this is such a weird thing. But, but now listen, self in me loves the way that, that you esteem me when you think that I've denied myself. You, you, you catching that? I just, I almost get this euphoria when you think I'm spiritual, when you think I'm a really sold out, denied self kind of a guy, <laughs> man, on the inside of me, I'm, I'm grinning, man. And since I like it, I'm going to keep giving the appearance that I've denied myself. And listen, man, if you'll esteem me, man, you wouldn't believe how long and how often I could pray if you'll esteem me. I mean, the, the self-denial that I can muster when it comes to pray. If you'll just esteem me, man, I'll really deny self. And if you'll esteem me, oh, man, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how much of this book I can learn and how much of it I can memorize. And, and you know, if you'll esteem me, man, you wouldn't believe how many missions trips I could take in a decade. I mean, y'all just keep patting everybody on the back when they do that thing. And, buddy, whoo, I'm going to be a self-denier myself. You bet. I'll be on that plane going wherever y'all want to go, man. I'm telling you, you wouldn't believe how much self-denial I can muster if you'll just pat me for it. And I'm trying to get you to see our, our, our self-denial is just a, a whitewashing of the same self-love and self-will that motiva motivated us 
before we were saved. The only problem is now it's worse because you know what? Now I'm promoting self in the name of Jesus. Which, I'm telling you, it stinks worse than what we were doing before we were saved. And I want you to notice here in Mark chapter 9 that the teaching in verse 35 comes off of the heels of what's been going on in verses 33 and, and 34, okay? Now, now they've, they've been making their way to Capernaum, and on the way, the disciples have been in a, in a pretty intense discussion about which one of them was the greatest, okay? And, and, and Jesus knew the discussion that they've been having, the problem is they just didn't know that Jesus knew, okay? And, and, and so, check out Mark chapter 9. It would be helpful if I got to, to chapter 9. And this is, this is where he, he teaches this whole thing about desiring to be first. Now, they don't know that he knows about the conversation they've just been having about which one of them is the greatest. And so now he comes out and he says that. And, and you know what? Whichever one of them thought they won, oh, bud, don't you know that he was really feeling like he was getting facial at this point, you know? I mean, somebody's sitting there thinking, oh, yikes, I was just promoting myself to be the greatest, and, he, you know, Jesus just shot that pup. You know what the truth is? They all thought they won. They all thought they were the greatest. So they all got a facial. You say, well, boy, oh, boy. Whew. I bet you they really learned their lesson there. Check out chapter 10. Okay, this was chapter 9. Now we move to chapter 10. This is after chapter 9, okay? Now, I mean, this is deep things in the Word. And look at verse 32. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took, them, uh, 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 took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, okay, fellas, here's the deal. We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests, unto the scribes. They shall condemn him to death. shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they're going to mock him. Scourge him, shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. Now the third day is going to rise. Okay, now, now listen. <laughs> okay, you're cruising along, and Jesus stops the show and says, "Okay, fellas, here's the deal. I'm getting ready to go here. I'm, they're gonna they're gonna make me look like a piece of trash publicly, and ultimately, they're gonna kill me." All right, verse 35. Next verse. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him. And he, I mean, he just closed his mouth. They come unto him saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Now, now don't look on to the next verse. Now surely, 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 surely. Now surely the, what they're desiring, surely what they're getting ready to say to him is, Oh, for God's sake, no. Would you please, would you please talk to the Father? Would you please see if there is any other possible way that this can 
this can be taken care of without you having to go through that type of, of humiliation and, and, and death. Would you please, that's the desire of our hearts, would you please, please talk to your father and, and see if that can happen. Verse 36, and he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. I don't think they got it. Look at verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. I bet you they were displeased because of the audacity of them after the Lord was going to have to be humiliated like that, the audacity of them to be so heartless and cold to be able to say that. No. They're ticked off because that's where they wanted to sit. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, we got that, all that humiliation and you're going to mock you and spit on you and kill you. But now, when we, okay, when it's all said and done, could I sit on the right and you sit on the So that's the first thing that we desire in our lost condition. We desire to be first. Can, can I just ask you real quick? Do you still desire to be first? Oh, I, I, oh, I know that you're not going to come out and say, yes, uh, I'd like to be first. You know, we're not as stupid as James and John. We, oh, bud, Laodiceans, we got this thing masked pretty good in that humility wrap, you know? Talking about on the inside, do you still desire to be first, great, esteemed, Secondly, and this is very closely related to the first one, maybe just a restatement of the first one. I don't know. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, 6, about the desire to glory. We desire to glory. It's the same desire that Lucifer had that led to his downfall. Wanting what is intended only for God, to be put in the limelight, to have all eyes on us. And again, what's so, so weird is how that in the church, how much glory how much glory you can receive for yourself by giving the appearance that you're glorifying God. You know, we learn how to do that. Ooh, they really glorify God. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, just jot it down, 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. What he says is, listen, you know what? He says, it's a, it's a real small thing that I'm judged of you. In fact, he says, you know what I've done? I've come to the place where I don't even judge myself. Even though I don't look at my life and see that there's any problem in my life, you know what? I don't, I don't excuse myself because I don't even sometimes know what's going on. He says, but now listen, the Lord's going to come and He is going to judge and then He's going to bring to light the hidden manifestations of the heart. And he says, so listen, since He's going to judge, we don't have to. Now, you see, we always think that judging has to do with, you know what? Judging is also lifting people up because of, you know, these great spiritual things that they do. What Paul's saying is don't even lift people up because you don't know why they do what they do. So y'all just do what you're supposed to do and leave the judgment to God, whether it be positive or negative. 
You know, I mean, if someone preaches a great sermon, well, that was really great. Well, it might have been good words, but you don't know why it was done. Then Paul talks about another one in, in 2 Corinthians eleven twelve. He talks about them which desire occasion. That's the third one. We desire occasion. And what occasion is, is a platform. We desire a place to exert ourselves, a place to make a name for ourselves. And listen, it can, this, this occasion thing, it can be a position, it could be a title, it could be a responsibility, it, it can be even like what we talked about earlier, it can be our, our humility. It, it's a, you know, I'm so humble, and so this is the place for me to ha- exert myself. I have this responsibility. Pastors entrusted me with this job. And then Galatians chapter 6, verse 12 gives us another one. It says, we desire to make a fair show in the flesh. You know what? In our lost condition, man, you know what? We, we like to be seen. We, we, we want people to, to know us. And what happens to us after we get saved? We want people to know how spiritual we are. And, and in wanting to know how spiritual we are, you know what? It ought to show us that it ought to show us how fleshly we are. But you see, lay out of sins. It doesn't, we, in trying to make people think we're spiritual, we even deceive ourselves and think that we're spiritual. When all it is is, a, as Galatians 6.12 says, a fair show in the flesh. Let, let, let me just ask you real quick. How many things do you do that have to do with your relationship with the Lord or have to do with the Lord's work that you do that you don't feel like you got to tell people about. Now, how much, I mean, can you, can you spend a long period of time praying without working that pup into the conversation somewhere about how long you prayed this morning? And, and, and how much of the Bible you know and all of that kind of stuff? Is it that you really want to be a blessing or is it that you want want to make a fair show in, in the flesh and tell people about all of how good you are. How many things do you do that only God knows? And the only reason you do them is because you're a child of God. There's another one. We desire evil concupiscence. And, and it, concupiscence is really just sensual desires. And it's the whole arena of the evil passions of our physical bodies. And Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 gives us a pretty good list. He listened there. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We've got these evil, sensual desires in us before we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you still have evil concupiscence? Do you still have sensual, evil desires that come? I mean, it, it doesn't somewhere, it, isn't it just somewhere in a Laodicean mind going to shake with us that, you know what, something ain't happening right here. I got all this stuff that just keeps going on in me. And then James 4, 2 gives a, another one. We desire to have. To have. He says... You, and you know the passage in, in James. We, we, we got all these, these passions and these lusts inside of us. 
we desire to have, and when those when we can't fulfill those, we get all frustrated and ticked off and, and all of that whole kind of a deal. We we want our own way, we want money, we want food he talks about in, in Matthew chapter six and clothing, uh, raiment, we want stature, we want all we want to have, 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 have. And these are the things, y'all. These are the things that we desired before we got saved. Now, how you doing on this little self-examination? Listen, is there any evidence that self has been obliterated? And, and listen, the idea of denying yourself, you know, sometimes, I'd love to have that pie, but I'm going to deny myself. Okay, that's not the idea of deny. Deny is obliterate. Self. Gone. See, that's why the desires change, because the thing that motivates us is the love of self. We want what we want. And you see, when you've denied yourself, the desires have changed. I'm asking you. Do you follow the Lamb? Oh, I I know. We're all followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Count me in. But have we come to the place of denying ourselves? And and hopefully, just looking at at this this whole arena this morning, maybe maybe something's going to connect in in our heads that's just going to say, you know what? Sorry, I scared some of you folks that are sleeping. You know what? I'm done with this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come before God, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay myself at His cross until He's transformed my desires. See, I, I'm just, I'm afraid. You know what's gonna happen? This church is going to go a long time with all this suppressing, su- suppressing of the desires and disciplining ourselves to do all these right things, getting the outside of the cup looking all real cool and putting fresh whitewash on, on, on the outside. And all of a sudden, one day, end up making a life-changing, sinful blunder. It changes the course and direction of our life and us look back and say, what happened? I'm just telling you. If all that's on the inside, it's just a matter of time before you're going to blow a gasket somewhere. And those desires are going to be fulfilled. The Christian life ain't this. It's freedom. It's freedom. It's joy. It's liberty. It's not suppression. It's not self-discipline. <laughs> Death. And in the dying, the life of Christ is made manifest. And that's what we need to get to, y'all. If we're going to be followers, that's what we're talking about.
If you're here this morning, you've never received Christ as your Savior. Listen, perfect day for you to be here. I mean, what we did is we described your condition. And, and you know what the, the deal is? Listen, don't, don't be moved. The, the deal is this. No man comes to the Father except through the Son. Jesus said that no man comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. The way the Father draws is by reproving of sin and righteousness and of judgment. And what I did is I showed you your condition today. And, and the fact of the matter is, either God's drawing you and you've been reproved of your sin and of righteousness and judgment and the desperation of your heart right now says, I need a Savior. Either that's going on or it ain't. Okay, now if it ain't, you, you need to just ponder everything that you heard. And I, man, I'd, I'd go take that study sheet home and I'd look up every verse on it and say, oh God, it, it didn't make me very desperate. I, I'd, I'd get just as desperate as I could possibly get. But if you're here this morning and there's desperation in your soul because you understand your condition, then listen, respond while the Father is drawing you. You can come to him today. Our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of this room as we're dismissed. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady that will talk with you. You don't have to be, you know, feel weird about talking to a man or anything like that. But now listen, if God is drawing you today, he's shown you yourself, he's shown you your need, and respond to him. You know what's real cool? There's a lot of folks have been humbling themselves around this church and saying, you know what? I've never really genuinely been saved. And, and you know what? Can I just encourage you? If that's, I mean, if you're wrestling that thing and you know, you know what? I need to do this. But what is, what are, what's my disciple going to think? What are the pastors going to think? What's my Sunday school class going to think? Talking about your eternal soul here. And you know what? Nothing would please us more greatly than to see you come to a true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. So let's all humble ourselves and do what we need to do before God this morning. Lord, thank you for folks that want it the way that you gave it. And I appreciate the, the opportunity that is mine to be able to take your book and, and to just tell it the way that it is. Lord, we, we desperately need you to do something in us. We are Laodiceans. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We think we're further down the road than we are. And you have told us in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17 that we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and we confess that this morning. We believe it. We understand it because of the things that you've shown us from your word today. And so, Lord, now cleanse us. May we be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And may the, the self-cult that gripped us 
may the, the residue of that be, be washed away through the, the, the washing of, of water of the Word. May we just fill our minds with, with your precious cleansing book. May we not be what the Pharisees were. And Lord, would you save lost people that are in this room this morning. Draw them to yourself, convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.